Good morning. Well, today we come to the end or completion of our study on stewardship. Take your Bibles, come with me to Proverbs 31 or page 538. If, if you are or were a student that uh, got a test return and you received a 10% score, you wouldn't be very happy about that because it means that somehow um, you failed on 90% of the material. Last week we talked about God's stewardship test, financial stewardship test, and this week we learned a little bit, little bit about the scoring of that test. And the reality is that even if you gave a tenth, a tithe of your income, your paycheck to God, it would be possible to fail on the stewardship test with the other 90%. And why is that? It's because if God truly owns everything, then we are accountable for everything. We're not just accountable for the money we give, we are accountable for all the money that we manage. We can't just do what we want to when it's God's money. We're going to look into this 31st chapter of Proverbs, which is maybe a passage you'd expect to hear like maybe on a Mother's Day or something like that, because it's about a woman who is worthy of our admiration. And one of the main reasons that she is worthy, we find, is that she is a wise financial steward. I know, ladies, many times you... Uh, need to learn from the men of the Bible because it's just a lot of men in the Bible. And today we kind of flip the script and uh, all of us, men included, are going to learn from a wise financial steward, this woman worth admiring. The first trait of her financial stewardship is that she's a hard worker. That's really where stewardship of money begins with where we earn it. Verse 10 Proverbs 31, a wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it's still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. Jump to verse 17. She sets about her work vigorously or dressed uh, with strength. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. Or go to verse uh, 27. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Did you notice all the references to how hard this woman works? Um, who wrote this description of the, uh, the woman, the wife, good with money? Uh, if you go to verse 1 of this chapter, you find out it's a, a man, a king named Lemuel. We don't know for sure who that was. We know Solomon wrote most of the Proverbs, but I, this doesn't seem to be him, uh, even by a different name. It's a different king. And where did he learn such things uh, as this chapter, which includes this valuable wife? 
Verse 1 says, the sayings of King Lemuel, an oracle his mother taught him. So um, mom is urging son Lemuel to find a good wife, it seems, but also to avoid some of the excesses in the first part of the chapter. Take a look at verses 2, 3, 4, and 5. O my son, son of my womb, O son of my vows, do not spend your strength on women, your vigor on those who ruin kings. So this is the wrong, wrong kind of woman. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, for, not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what the law decrees. And so basically, it's mom telling her grown-up boy who is now a king to um, avoid these excesses. Um, kings of the day could have all the women they wanted and could have all the alcohol they wanted because they had all the money and power that they could want. So uh, she's warning him, and he's writing it down, wine and women can ruin you. So instead, what does this mother say that her son should pursue? That's where we come to verse 10 and says, uh, a wife of noble character, who can find? And then he dis she describes that woman with these terms of wisdom and financial stewardship. So if you are an unmarried man looking to marry, look for a godly woman, not just a pretty one. Both is great, of course, but look for godliness. In fact, look at verse 30. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Look for a woman who fears the Lord, but you have to realize only a man who fears the Lord is going to recognize a woman who fears the Lord, worships the Lord. So back to verse 10. A wife of noble character. Uh, the term means worth and, and, and value. And the prevailing, one of the prevailing traits of this woman is she's a hard worker. We saw it in verse 13. Works with eager hands. The word eager, or you may have the word willing hands. It's actually a word for, she works with happy hands. It's, it's somebody who, because they invest in their work to do it well, they work hard at it, they actually enjoy it. And that's the truth, isn't it? When you do something really well, you begin to enjoy it more. Verse 15, she gets up while it's still dark, as many of you do, or almost had to do to get to the service today. Dressed with strength, verse 17, or works vigorously. She puts in effort. Verse 18, her lamp does not go out at night. That's extra effort at her work. And verse 27, does not eat the bread of idleness. In other words, she wants to earn it. In our culture, it seems like we're sometimes obsessed with avoiding work and uh, the living for the weekend, for the vacation, etc. mindset. But to be stewards of God's money is first to be stewards of how he allows us to earn Money. We have strength from God, skills from God, opportunities, minds that God has given us. That's where stewardship begins to use those well. Uh, if you've seen the Fiddler on the Roof movie, there's that familiar song by Tevya. If I were a rich man, I won't fill in all the dilly-dumb things if you know the song, but all day long I'd biddy-biddy-bum if I were a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work hard. You know, stop the music. Is, is that right? Is, is Tevye right that, wow, wouldn't it be great 
to have all the money so that you could do anything you wanted, go any place, hobbies, vacation, full-time. No, sorry, Tevya. That's not the right thing. Because we're stewards of the time, the energy, the work God gives us to do. It's interesting to see in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 15 is before sin. Chapter 3, right? So Genesis 2.15 says that God placed Adam and Eve in the garden to work it. To work it and to take care of it. Work preceded sin. Because it's a good thing. Of course, because of sin there's a curse and work is harder, no doubt. Uh, so many verses on, on work throughout the, uh, the scriptures, you could fill pages, but here's a few since we're in Proverbs. Diligent Work is where financial stewardship begins. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Those who work their land will have abundant food. But those who chase fantasies will have no sense. There is something especially insidious, spiritually it seems, about the idea of getting rich quick. Fantasies. So, before you invest in that can't-miss stock or whatever, I think as a steward you would ask not only the question, how risky is this, but why do I want to get rich quick? Fantasies. Oh, I could do this and boom, it'd be worth this. Or playing the lottery or the slots. I cannot think of more unbiblical, anti-stewardship use of money than gambling. Prove me wrong from here. Prove me wrong. Get rich quick, attitudes, etc. Instead, Colossians 3, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So when you're working, you're working for Him. This is not just about missionaries and pastors who work for God. We all do. And we need to restore in our hearts maybe the sacred nature of work. It's not just because we owe, we owe but rather because work has intrinsic value before God. Unless you're producing cocaine or pornography, get different work, but basically anything that supports humanity instead of degrading it can be done with all of our heart working for the Lord. And it's not just about the paycheck. I think, of course, reading through Psalm, or rather Proverbs, 31, this woman was certainly working hard outside of the home, but she was working for her home, indeed. And so if you have uh, children and you are able to work exclusively at home, your work has that same intrinsic, valuable, spiritual value as you work hard at wiping noses, making food, teaching life, and making disciples all at the same address all day. Hard work. Whatever you work, work for Christ who owns it all. So hard work is the first mark of this stewardship. The second we find of this woman is that she shops and spends wisely. 
I hope we have a biblical theology of spending money because do you realize that as God's stewards, most of the money that we manage is spent? So, to, so just to focus on giving or even saving would not really be good stewardship unless we are spending it as stewards. Look at verse 14. Bringing her food from afar, almost like a merchant. She, she knows that sometimes you have to go work a little bit more at it to find a good deal. Verse 15, she provides food. Many ways to provide food. Some of it might be that she, she's gardening, maybe shopping at the market. What else does she buy? Verse 16. This is fun. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Just a thing. Wives, if, if, if you are going to take this verse literally, before you sign the contract, maybe just bounce it off your husband if you're, if you're buying a field. Verse 18. She sees that her trading is profitable. In those days, you couldn't just walk along these shelves filled with everything and wave your magic plastic card because at the, at the market, what you'd do, you would do, you would trade goods, you would negotiate price, money for goods, you'd barter maybe. But she is spending money for that which she needs. Verse 18. Verse 22. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her house is nicely decorated. And she's uh, dressed well, clothed well. That's not wrong. It's not wrong. Uh, it seems that she made a lot of it herself, which DIY, do-it-yourself, was a, a default in ancient cultures. And frankly, early America and probably a lot of your parents and grandparents, if not you, what can you do yourself? She, but she clearly doesn't spend all of it because we find she also is able to save and invest wisely. She bought that field in verse 16 instead of spending up all of her money on nice things. In verse 21, when it snows, she has no fear for her household for all of them are clothed in scarlet. So when she can't go out in the garden and, and, and maybe trade at the market, she's, she's bought the right things and, it, and she has peace. She hasn't spent it all up. Interesting, verse 24, she also spends or invests in a, in a cottage industry. She makes, verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the, the merchants with sashes, belts. Because she doesn't spend it all up, she has money to buy linen, cloth, to make garments to wholesale these sashes or, or belts to the merchants who would come in on ships perhaps. So she's a worker, but she's also a spender because spending money wisely is a spiritual thing. Proverbs has some serious warnings about spending without wisdom. Of what use is money in the hand of a fool since he has no intention of acquiring wisdom? More money is not the answer. Better stewardship is. We've probably all heard stories of uh, professional athletes who made millions, and yet somehow they end up bankrupt. They had money, but they didn't have wisdom. Proverbs 19.10, it is not fitting for a fool to live in luxury. doesn't make any sense. 21.17, whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Just thinking practically, if, if you don't have a budget, 
can I dare you to do something scary? Go back and look at all of 2022, where you can find records of spending. So much of stuff is online now, it's easy to find. Online banking. Add up all those subscriptions, monthly things, uh, streaming services, phone, internet, everything that comes out regularly, credit card uh, records online, shopping sites, debit card would be on online banking. And if, and if that doesn't scare you enough when you look back over where the money's gone, then uh, think about cash. Maybe where, where do you spend cash? How many times do you go through the, the drive-thru for a $5 drink or go through with a fast food bill, 10, 20, 30 bucks? Sometimes stewardship just starts with being honest and doing math. Is it possible that you make three $5 decisions a day that you didn't need, they were optional? That's $15 a day. It's $105 a week. It's $5,475 a year. Five grand. Or if it's five $20 decisions a week that were unnecessary. That's $100 a week, $5,200. You know, five grand could, if, if it's time to, to upgrade your car, you need to do that, you know, five grand can be helpful. And, and if both the five and the 20s were problems, then that's 10. Doing, math is brutally honest, but it, there's something even more important, and that is we're stewards of the money that God entrusts to us. Jesus said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Stuff. The original Greek word is stuff on your closet, shelves, and garages. Just kidding. But, but there is an abundance. So going back to our, I think it's the second message, there's this contentment factor. So as you begin to think about that and the... And the guilt sinks in a little bit. We conclude it's always more spiritual to be frugal, right? Or not? It's a tricky issue because there is more scripture that would say, wait a minute. Maybe it's not just about being frugal. When you grow up just surviving, and, and you might feel like you're in survival mode constantly, but like many of our ancestors, it was, it was about survival, and so watching costs was its only way. Like I've told before, my dad tells about being a kid during the Great Depression. Uh, farming had progressed to where his dad was able to buy a tractor to replace working with horses, and they had just put in electricity in the farmhouse to replace the kerosene lamps, an exciting time of progress. And then the Great Depression hit. And Dad got out the horses and parked the tractor because they couldn't afford to pay for gas. And they went out and went back and got the kerosene lamps out because they couldn't afford the electricity. Sometimes frugal is absolutely necessary. You, you probably, if you don't go through that now, there's probably been a season, right? But is being frugal sometimes the wrong decision? and not good stewardship. I think there's some times and that's true. 
When it's deceitful, Proverbs 20, 14, it's no good, it's no good, says the buyer. Then off he goes and boasts about the purchase. Rummage sales. I mean, we lived on rummage sales. and some. We have to evaluate our attitude. When's it right to just quit haggling and pay a fair price? And more importantly, as a steward, why? Is this about, do I do it because... I'm using God's money wisely or to prove how smart I am taking advantage of the other person. You see how God's always at work in the heart. Do I trust God to supply for my needs or is it all on me to drive the hardest bargain possible? When it's stinginess. The stingy are eager to get rich and are unaware that poverty awaits them. A greedy man, the same idea, stirs up strife. Sometimes the, the, the conflict reveals something about that. If, if you were looking up the uh, 2822, some of the translations say uh, the stingy eye, the stingy is the evil eye, literally. That's the word. And you can almost picture this person who just squints in disapproval. The Scrooge, every time you think of spending money, it's just always, you know, kind of like that. All about keeping, 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 even maybe sometimes when God would have you to bless or supply for someone in your family or friends around you. What does it say when it means, what does it mean when it says, unaware that poverty awaits them? I, I really wonder whether the, the Proverbs uh, Solomon is thinking of death. That's when we have poverty. So in other words, keep, 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 but you're going to let go of all of it eventually in death. And if it doesn't mean that, it does, of course, imply that God can reverse fortunes in other ways as well. So the possibility is there that we could honor or dishonor God with being frugal or being stingy, with being extravagant or being wise. It's not just like, don't spend, do spend, there's, there's, there's more to it than that. It's about pleasing God. The, this, the greedy man stirs up strife. If we are all about keeping, keeping, it can be irritating and disheartening to people around us, and it can be hard to work with or be married to someone who is, is stingy. One more. It wouldn't be good stewardship if we're not enjoying God's blessings Paul told Timothy to command those who are rich in this present world, addressing those with more money, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. So there's this balance if you have more money and being rich in this present world probably defines just about most Christians. Just most Christians probably in, in this county and, and, and a couple around us, maybe north of, of the metro area. Rich in this present world. So this is not written to just make us feel guilty, but rather to say, hey, there's a balance. There's a, there's a sense in which it's, that sometimes it's, you should take the family to Culver's. You should take the neighbor's. There's a time to enjoy. 
God's blessing. And, and one of the traits would be, does, is, this, is, this, is this spending of blessing creating stress? Is it creating conflict? Is the ability to do that robbing time from other priorities that God would have in our life? Ministry, potentially. So since it's not so easy and we have to kind of figure out this, this balance, how do we do that? I was thinking about that this week, knowing that God is looking at the heart and the attitude, and, and yet we live in a time where there's, there's often more money than, than absolutely essential, but other people are just barely making it. I think the issue is going to be we have to ask ourselves, why do I want to spend more than I should sometimes? Or why do I want to keep more than I need to sometimes? The, the why question is, is so crucial and then to ask God for wisdom. As I was thinking about this, I, I started to, to sketch out a chart. Now, if, if this chart just seems confusing to you, just rejoin us after the slide is gone, okay? Uh, if it's helpful, there's copies at the back table. You don't have to take a picture. Why do we spend and why do we don't? Trying to bring together some of these, this, this spending, not spending because everybody is spending and keeping some, right? So that, that's all of us. But you might find yourself more this way or that way. Often in marriage, you find some tug-of-war. One is more this or the other. There is wise frugality, we'll call it. There is wise spending, we've seen. But there is also excessive spending, and there is what I would call legalistic frugality. So... Think through those categories and realize there's kind of a waterline and you want to live above the waterline, right? As you, as you balance these issues. And it's not all about those who have less money or more money because it's an equal opportunity sin, if you will, to, to dive below the water with an excess or a legalistic attitude. So let's just think through a little bit uh, if the yellow is those with less Frugality becomes essential to survive, and so that can be wise. Just, hey, honey, we can't do it. And, and there's some real principles that are gained in that process of trusting God when you just need, it, need to be frugal to survive. But if you have more money, there's, there's this value to self-limiting, perhaps to give more. Because, you know, if, if it's the five grand thing through the year, you know, if you're living on it, you need it for essential survival, you need that. But, but if you don't need it for that, Think of the freedom it gives you to be generous and willing to share, 1 Timothy 6. On the other end of that keeping money is the idea sometimes that it's more spiritual to be poor or to appear to be poor. Kind of feel that sometimes? So, so for, for those who really do have less money and surviving, it can become kind of a rigid and resentful kind of a thing that, that we're probably more spiritual because those rich people, you know. Actually, which that's envy because they have more than, than God's allowed us to have. And if you have more and yet you're still, you know, that, that stingy thing, you know, it's rigid and selfish. Very, because if you're the Scrooge that, that actually has extra money, it's often the idea that I, you're still often being selfish because it's, you're spending money on the things that you really want, but kind of keeping anybody else from spending any money. Let's think about spending. There's wise spending when you have just very little. You, you, you need to be prayerful but not demanding where you say, you know what, 
I still need to buy gas and groceries. It's time to upgrade the car. We got to do it. And, and you have less money, but you still have to spend. So you seek God's wisdom for that without being demanding, nourishing the, the contentment, contented heart. And, and someone who has more is still able to be in the wise spending because there's this humility of enjoying blessing and, and being uh, generous with it. Grateful heart. On the excessive spending, I, I call it spending, self-medicating with material things because sometimes, and this is again, equal opportunity if you will, if you have less money, sometimes you just want to spend something to just feel better. And the $5 thing, the $20 thing, the steak dinner, or buying the new car when you can't afford it just makes you feel better for a little while <laughs> until the bills hit and reality sinks in and the debt collectors call or whatever else, but it can be like an emotional pick-me-up. And it can be actually just as much that for those who have the money to spend, but an arrogance, kind of an attitude of, because they can't, you know. Do you see how God is always addressing our hearts? It's not a matter of how much money we have, but it's rather where your treasure is, that's where your, your heart will be. And God is in the process of shaping our hearts. And that's what he wants for us. So I don't know if you can identify yourself somewhere on that, that chart about spending and keeping. To, to maybe think through, you know, what, which is the attitude that you struggle with? What, what is it you need to be praying about would be the, the issue? I know it's kind of a heavy truth, but the idea of stewardship is that money is a heavy responsibility. It's something that God uh, has us process Many times throughout, virtually every day, we're, we're spending something, we're thinking about it, we're planning, we're earning it, we're, we're doing something with it. And so something that is so constant in our life, what better tool could God use to shape our heart than something so sacred as material things and, and money? Some good news as we wrestle with the tensions that we feel some good news is in, in Proverbs 31 to see what are the fruits of establishing biblical stewardship. Take a look first, first at verse 20. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. Why can she do that? Why can she give to the poor? Because she's been spending money wisely, investing and working hard, she has extra. And I love this expression, even visually, that she extends her arms. You can tell giving is what she enjoys. She has a compassionate heart. She wants to give. And how, how better to imitate Christ, as we were looking at a couple weeks ago in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he, be, he who was rich became poor, came to earth, so that we through his poverty, the cross, might become rich spiritually. That's our model for, for generosity and, and, and that compassionate heart that God says, I'm going to come down there and be one of you and live with all those limitations because I care so much about you. And so he, he counted it a, a privilege to do that for us, and that's what giving's about first reason that we give is worship. And, and this woman was a worshiper, verse 30. She fears the Lord. Proverbs 3, honor the Lord with your first fruits. So, so giving is worship. Generosity 
is first of all vertical, the result of worship. But the ability to be generous is the result of stewardship. Does that make sense? Generosity is the result of worship. That's vertical. But the ability to be generous depends on whether we have been good stewards, horizontal decisions, and God-focused. First fruit is to uh, be generous. Then she enjoys peace of mind. We looked at verse 21. When it snows, she, she has no fear. Verse 25, the last line says, she can laugh at the days to come. She has this sense of, of peace about her financial future. Why? Because she's been faithful in stewardship in the financial present. We can be confident and have peace about the future financially, our personal future, when we've been faithful in the present. She can laugh at the days to come. That's when you're living in constant financial fear, you don't, you don't laugh at much. Uh, that's where we try to you know, experience fun, and so it tastes good, it looks good on me, it's shiny, I bought it. I felt good for a while till the bills came due. But, but, but that's not real joy because there's that sinking pit in your stomach eventually. But she has financial peace. Thirdly, verse 26, generosity, peace, and then she's also able to instruct others to live wisely. Verse 26, she speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. That's about more than money, but I can only imagine that the people she is around are benefiting from her financial wisdom. Uh, some of you moms, especially, and guys too, but you're masters at making money last. Uh, you know how to make instead of buying. You're willing, you're willing to try things to do that. You know how to find good discounts. You know how to use Facebook Marketplace wisely how to shop at St. Vinny's, Hidden Treasures, Goodwill. Uh, and sometimes I, I hear people sharing, you know, talk about that stuff. Learn from one another's wisdom. Or, or maybe, maybe this is more men, but if you, you notice somebody you feel like is a good steward. You, you, uh, you kind of have a respect for them spiritually, and, and yet they seem to have this financial peace or whatever. And have you ever thought of approaching someone like that and saying, Tell me how you do things. I'm, I'm trying to grow in my stewardship. Because the people who are, are doing it well are probably not bragging about it. That's just not who they are. They're, they're the quiet ones sometimes, and you'll need to seek them out. If you want to start a journey of more wise stewardship, this might be a good time to recommend a couple of uh, stewardship resources. Um, a lot of them are online-based. Copies of this at the back, too, if you want. But Crown Financial Ministries is a, a great ministry, crown.org. People like Ron Blue and Larry Burkett, who's now with the Lord. But uh, a lot of good writing uh, about stewardship as well as real practical things, budgeting and, and you know, things to fill out, kind of get started on those things. Similar is some of you have taken the Financial Peace University kind of a course, Dave Ramsey at RamseySolutions.com. How, how many of you have done financial peace or done something with that? A number of you, yeah, I know I keep hearing about uh, that. 
Some of you remember Joe Sangle was here with us, and we had this whole room filled with tables and chairs and did a financial uh, seminar with, with Joe Sangle. That's josephsangle.com. He has various materials. And I'm going to mention one that's secular but really good. How many of you ever listened to Clark Howard? Yeah, yeah, good. Uh, just great on, you know, whether it's insurance or, or travel or credit cards or finding good deals or not getting ripped off, as he says. Uh, good, good resources. And then there's a section in our, in our library, just snapped a, some of the, actually some of these authors are, are in there. Uh, bottom shelf in the corner of our, of our library here. Feel free to take a look at some of, of those. Back to the wise wife, one more. And this is, this is important in terms of her reputation and other people trust. She's trusted by her husband, praised by her children, husband, and friends. Verse 11, her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. He knows that his success is, is largely due to his wife. She's, she's not a, a drain pulling against their goals. He, she is, yes, full confidence in her. She tr- he trusts her. Um, verse 23, her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes a seat among the elders of the land. Now, it kind of looks like he's sitting there taking credit for everything. But he doesn't just take all the credit for himself because look at the last line of verse 28. Her husband also, and he praises her. So, so he's, he's affirming her. We need, always need more of that in, in marriage, of affirming one another. Earlier in that verse, not only does her husband praise her, her children arise and call her blessed or blessed. That probably means her children complained during those younger years when she kept saying no, going down those aisles in Walmart or Target. But they grow up to say, thank you, mom. (laughs) Thank you, mom. You didn't give me everything I wanted. You taught me good financial management. They call her blessed. Verse 27, she watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. So, uh, yeah, we understand that, that God holds us as, as husbands and dads ultimately responsible, but when you think about financial decisions, who makes most of the financial decisions in your house on a daily basis? Usually mom. The bottom line, verses 30 and 31, charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise at the city gates. Her reputation. Uh, she, she has opportunity. She has generosity. And she has the respect of her family. Because she's been a faithful steward, among other things. So we've been a little bit on a, on a journey these last, uh, I guess, five weeks. We started out in 1 John 2, 14 and 15 don't love the world. The beginning point is to say, am I about loving God or is everything that's out there owning my heart? Then we looked at being content. If, if the world isn't going to control our heart, then there, there comes a place where we're going to find peace not in what we accumulate, but rather in what God has already done for us, what he provides. Thirdly, we looked at 2 Corinthians, that was Philippians 4. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Giving because of grace. It's not just about God taking some money away, but rather that we see what he's done for us 
in giving to us, and we give out of a heart of gratitude. And then last week we looked at this financial stewardship test, which is basically that when we are faithful with money, God can trust us also with ministry. What a, what a really big deal that is. And then finally today in Proverbs, being wise with, with uh, beyond our giving, being wise with all the money that God entrusts to us. God owns it all. We are stewards. Everyone here has probably at some point prayed about money and needs for money. But have we prayed that we would submit ourselves to the owner? To the, that we would be true managers, stewards, faithful to him, but praying that we would submit to him most of all. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you uh, speak to our hearts in many ways. Thank you for these reminders in these last weeks of how you speak to us through the, the material things in our life. We thank you for your abundant provisions. We realize as we think globally, not only that are we spiritually blessed with spiritual freedom to worship where others do not have that, we are blessed with abundance that uh, surpasses the vast majority of our world. And Lord, as we uh, wrestle maybe with our own situations, whatever fears, whatever, whatever patterns, Lord, that we might have established maybe wrongly, and from whatever source that comes, I pray that you would refresh our hearts to think biblically, to think stewardship, and to become faithful to you in the things that we, we manage for you, our owner and our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.